Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. In a time of excess for many, some are living with less, a lot less. Tiny living has become increasingly popular in the past few years. Today on Access Utah, we're going to talk about this thirst for simplicity, how it's changing the lives of those who live this way, how it's affecting the environment around them, and if tiny houses could be in the future for more of us. Our guests will include Christopher Smith and Merritt Miller, Mueller, rather, uh, co-directors of Tiny, a documentary on tiny living. Jeffrey White of Sarah House Project and Microhouse Utah will join us, and Macy Miller, who lives in a tiny space of her own, also will be with us. We welcome in uh, Macy Miller. I believe we have uh, you on the phone. Hi, yeah. Hi, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I believe you're in uh, Boise, Idaho. That, that's true. I am up to, just up north of you. That's where we want to start is uh, is your story. By the way, uh, you were on Tell Me More on NPR uh, last year, so I'm looking at yeah. that. So I'm looking at some photos there, and if uh, people want to follow me over there, it's uh, just go to npr.org and, uh, and click in uh, Tiny Living. Uh, and this this does look like, like a small space. Uh, so t- tell me your story in brief. You, um, you went through a divorce, lost your home to foreclosure, and what made you decide you wanted to, to live in a, in a tiny house? Yeah, so um, the the divorce actually has very little to do with it. I oh, don't know okay. that just pulled in quite a bit, right. but um, yeah, ultimately I went through foreclosure and I was kind of put in a position where I, I couldn't finance again, nor would I want to finance again. But I I didn't particularly like renting because I like painting walls and hanging pictures and things. So I thought I'd build a space that is mine with cash on hand and and live in it. And it was kind of an experiment for me. Also, I I have a background in architecture, so it was kind of testing out some sustainable features. Um, so I had some real-life experience with it when I was talking to clients, and I could tell them, you know, yeah, radiant floor, you know, it's good, or it's bad, I don't know, you mm. know. Um, it right. was just to, to get some hands-on experience, as well as save, a, save the payment a month. Uh, so this, uh, so you went from, uh, what, 2,500 square feet? Correct. To... 2,500 square foot to 196. 196, <laughs> which which when you say that, sounds like a closet to me. Uh, it I'm, does, and you know, a lot of people say, you know, my bathroom's bigger than that, and yeah. it is a lot of times bigger than that. <laughs> Mine was bigger than that. Wow. Uh, but yeah. there, there are pictures. I mean, it, it looks okay. It's uh, it, it, How is it living in that, that kind of a space? It's less than 200 feet. It's it's no different than living, you know, it's no different than living in another house. It's It's a well-designed space. It works for me. I have a living room, I have a kitchen, I have a bathroom, and I have a bedroom. Um, I actually have a daughter now, um, so there's a, there's a family in here. Um, my, my partner and myself and my daughter, and then we have a dog. And it's, it's just like any other house, we do the same things. So <laughs> so three people and a dog, you, um, I'm not sure if you're talking me into this. Uh, you know, Not that I'm in the, in the market. <laughs> but uh, again, if you look at the pictures, it looks fine. But uh, going from uh, 2,500 square feet, which is kind of on the large side, but still, um, so I was looked up the, or no, you 2,700 feet, I think, for you. Uh, no, 2,500 feet. Yeah, um, okay. So um, looked up the uh, average uh, square feet for for a house in the United States. This is according to the National Association of Home Builders. Average is 2,700 square feet. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, that's 2009, up 1,400 square feet from uh, 1970. I think the, the trend is now going back a little smaller, but still, that, that's a pretty radical change if you go to about Yeah, I think feet. you're getting that little pendulum swing where people are going back the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it works for a lot of people's lifestyles. I mean, I volunteer a lot in the community, and, and realistically, when I was building my house, I wasn't home very much. Now I'm home quite a bit longer, and it still works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's not for everybody, obviously, but it's not impossible. It's not even hard to live in a tiny house. Yeah. Uh, so we'll come back to uh, Macy Miller. We want to bring in our other guests now, uh, Jeffrey White from uh, Sarah House Project and Microhouse Utah in, in the Salt Lake area uh, joins us. So welcome to the program, Jeffrey White. Good morning. How are you, sir? We're uh, I'm doing well. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, Christopher Smith and uh, Merritt Mueller, co-directors of Tiny. That's a documentary on Tiny Living. They join us as well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Hi, thanks for having us. Appreciate you uh, you joining us. So uh, let me turn to uh, Christopher Smith maybe first. Um, how did you learn about uh, Tiny Houses? Uh, the first 
I'd ever uh, heard about tiny houses actually was um, in a Yes Magazine article uh, from 2009. Uh, let me turn to uh, Jeffrey White, Sarah House Project in the Micro House, uh, House Utah. How did you first learn about the uh, tiny house phenomenon? Well, actually, I started with, uh, before actually reading about it, I started constructing them. Uh, I was, uh, uh, I run a little volunteer program here, and the Sarah House was actually constructed out of uh, uh, repurposed shipping containers. So uh, what I had done is I started building them actually in my driveway. Uh, people started looking at them with the idea of, my gosh, we could use these as accessory dwellings on the back of structures, other, you know, other uh, potential uses for them. Uh, we even set them up in a, in a uh, shopping mall configuration this past year in the middle of the street for six months. So for me, it was just the, the size of the structures and the ability to be able to move them. Where I had uh, uh, my biggest kind of, that kind of got me started with this is I live in a, a small little moderate home in uh, downtown Salt Lake City. Everybody liked the idea, but they didn't like the idea of me building it in my driveway. So right. you know, we all yeah. kind of got together, and then again, it's 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 a bunch of volunteers, and we just started, you know, moving them around till uh, the city recognized the idea, uh, and gave us a small home grant where we actually went out and constructed the biggest one to date, and that one was six hundred and seventy square feet. Six hundred seventy is the biggest one. What the yes, small smallest one? What's the smallest one? Smallest one, you know, one hundred and sixty. Okay. And I've actually just completed one uh, that's uh, six foot by eight foot, and it's what we call a little homeless hut. Uh, it's uh, an insulated, small shell, hard-sided, uh, very attractive-looking little little building that will keep somebody uh, from freezing mm. overnight. And we've like to go back to our city, so we're, we're pushing our city or Salt Lake City uh, to look at some of these ideas in the in the creation of establishing something to do with some of our homeless folks, especially as our city's looking at moving some of those facilities away from, from downtown. So you're looking at this not only as uh, maybe a lifestyle change someone would want to do, but as, as a way to solve uh, or help solve some of the problems, like homelessness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, people are getting by with, we're seeing everybody kind of downsizing. I mean, the, the tiny house movement, all of those types of things. I mean, it's almost uh, similar to the ways of automobile industry. You have people that had very, very large suburban expedition style vehicles. Now we have people that are, you know, buying the small little Fiat's. So it's just kind of a, a, a downsizing. People don't need rooms in this situation. They don't need rooms for, you know, their collection of shoes or their unused sports memorabilia from high school. They want something more compact, usable, certainly more affordable. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a large, higher number of single people out there right now. Yeah. Marat Mueller, let me bring you in. Uh, what do you you talk to? I think a lot of people who've uh, made this change or at least contemplating this change. What what do people tell you? The reasons why they want to go smaller. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, life these days is more stressful and overwhelming than ever. I mean, we're we're exposed to so much media. People are so busy. Um, there's so many texts and tweets, and and I think. Um, you know, one response to that is just wanting to simplify and wanting our built physical environments to be as minimal and as simple as possible. Um, so I think that's one reason why people are attracted more and more um, to this minimalism movement. Um, I think, I mean, a lot of the people that, that we spoke with in the process of making the documentary were um, environmentally conscious, but most people weren't motivated primarily by environmental reasons. A lot of people were um, also motivated by financial reasons, trying to get out of debt, um, you know, attracted to the idea of owning a home but with, without a mortgage payment. Hmm. So, yeah, I could imagine environmental would be part of it, but, but you're saying that's not the primary reason for a lot of people. The, the financial seems like No, it. yeah, definitely. Most people, um, I think, were motivated by, by financial um, reasons and then kind of the environmental benefits of living more simply mm -hmm. were kind of an added bonus for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you, uh, Macy Miller, um, finances were, sound like they were part of your project. Uh, you you built your own uh, tiny home and it, uh, the cost was what, $11,000? Yeah, $11,416. Um, so I had a, a few factors. Um, it was education primarily, so I had my hands in there. I did every step of the way. Um, I wanted to learn how to do it. But finances definitely played a hand. Um, I, I don't 
I don't ever want to be tied to a bank again. That's a personal mm. feeling. And this was an avenue for me to accomplish that. So you, you uh, use cash then? You, yes. Okay. Sir, absolutely. So, I had a little right. bit saved, and then, uh, you know, it, it takes time to build, so you earn money along the way. So well, that, I didn't have it all up front. So that's a big benefit, no mortgage. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, heating cooling costs are lower. It's a, it's a much smaller space. So far, my highest bill has been $50, and it got to negative 4 degrees. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, that's propane and electric. I, I would like to, uh, yeah, I'd like all of those factors, financial factors. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. I like it a lot. I'm not sure if I'm, uh, you know, ready to, to move to less than 200 uh, uh, square foot, but you seem to be doing it with with you and your partner you know and I, uh, child and dog. What I suggest people do mm-hmm. is to visit a tiny house. There's more mm-hmm. and more available. It sounds okay. really small. Mm-hmm. Um, not a single person has walked in my house and, and not said something like, this is a lot bigger than I expected. Yeah. You know, if it's well-designed, it works. Okay. We've got Christopher Smith back. We apologize for that uh, phone problem, uh, Christopher Smith. Uh, welcome back to the program. Um, I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to uh, ask you about uh, maybe pushback, and I, I know there, you know, there probably is. Uh, there, there are communities that don't want tiny houses. Uh, you know, maybe they could, would see that to drop property values or, or other resistance to this. Do you, do you find that? Oh, definitely. Um, although I think there's less resistance from city planners, as you might think, um, I think there is a, a movement towards uh, learning how to develop communities more sustainably. Um, and rather than uh, affordable housing, especially in Boulder, is, is a real problem. And they're looking at ways to, you know, increase density without necessarily building up because, it, you know, in Boulder, it block all the views. So, um, you know, there are lots of cities who are, who are looking at this and looking at infill development as a way to increase density without changing um, entirely the characteristics of their town. But there are some, you know, safety concerns that need to be addressed and, uh, you know, zoning and and things like that, which take time. But I do think there is a movement towards uh, growing smaller. But there's also pushback, I think, on the the sort of more, uh, you know, for instance, there's a lot of criticism around people who um, are living in tiny houses, and, uh, you know, if you do it for a few years and then, you know, to start having a family and need to, like, uh, move up, you know, there, there's a lot of criticism around being a hypocrite and things like that, and people, uh, you know, they uh, they really want to see you living your these values, like, to, um, to an extreme, you know, in a way, and, and we've noticed that a lot with our film. Interesting. So so tiny living purists who are pushing back on, on others. <laughs> Well, it's not purist. I think they're really just looking for um, a reason to poke holes in it, you know, because oh, oh, I, I see. I think okay. There are some, uh, yeah, some people who feel threatened, I, I think, by women uh, in, in terms of, you know, it, it, they're feeling personally attacked about it, criticizing their lifestyle. And I don't think that tiny houses are like that or, or are suggesting that in any way. It's more just mm-hmm. offering an alternative uh, way to live. Oh, I see. So it, it, a person living in the average 2,700 foot uh, square house with, you know, the two-car garage and such, may, maybe feels like a person in a tiny house is implicitly criticizing them. Yeah, not everybody, obviously, but mm-hmm. there are, I think there are people out there who uh, who think that they're, you know, are going to start being forced to, to downsize and, and things like that when they don't want to. Yeah. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more, much more to talk about here. Uh, tiny, tiny living uh, is the topic. Uh, it, it's a trend. Uh, more people are living alone. Uh, more people are wanting to downsize. This could be retirees who, uh, and I believe uh, Jeffrey White has has a project. Uh, you know, the, one of the larger houses is, is kind of designed for retirees uh, in uh, Salt Lake City. Um, is this for you? And uh, we want to examine this phenomenon. Uh, certainly, costs can be lower. Space is less, which uh, could perhaps be an advantage as well. Uh, in a time of excess for many, and that's uh, one viewpoint, uh, some are living with less, a lot less. So, for example, Macy Miller, one of my guests, who is living in a space of less than 200 square feet. More on a Tiny Living following the break. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. In addition to the 25 million people in this country who have been diagnosed with diabetes or who have it but don't yet know that they do, an estimated 79 million people have entered the danger zone known as pre-diabetes. 
Their blood glucose levels are higher than normal, but have not yet risen to the level at which they would indicate a diagnosis of diabetes. In people with prediabetes, the pancreas may not be working as efficiently as it once did, or the body may be gradually building a resistance to the insulin it produces, so that the hormone can't do as good a job of clearing glucose from the bloodstream. The good news is that type 2 diabetes is preventable. Diabetes prevention is as basic as eating more healthfully, becoming more physically active, and losing a few extra pounds. And it's never too late to start. This is Lisa for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Time to make an appointment with Public Radio's favorite family doc on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. It'll be a jam-packed hour on healthy living, including this tasty recipe for... Pastrami breakfast hash. We always have a great time. So will you on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. From PRI, Public Radio International. You're listening to Access U Time, Tom Williams. It's a trend. After going bigger for uh, many years, uh, now a lot of people are going smaller. We're talking about housing. And that if your house is smaller, you, a lot of elements of your life have got to be smaller as well. You, you can't store as much stuff. Uh, many people find this a virtue. And uh, we're talking about the tiny house trend, tiny living. We have with us Christopher Smith and Marette Mueller, co-directors of Tiny, a documentary on tiny living. Jeffrey White of the Sarah House Project and Microhouse Utah, uh, projects uh, in uh, Salt Lake City area. And Macy Miller, who lives in a tiny space of her own, a tiny house in Boise, Idaho. And you are welcome to join the conversation. What do you think about this? W- is this something interesting to you? Would, would you jump into this? Uh, or uh, Perhaps you live in a, in a tiny house. Like, tell us about your experience. The phone line, uh, phone number is 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. You can join us online or rather by email to upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. And you can join us on our Facebook page uh, as well. Let me turn uh, to, to begin this uh, segment uh, once again to Macy Miller, living there in Boise, Idaho. I noticed uh, the pictures here on NPR of your house. It's. It looks like it's on wheels. You can, it looks like you can move this. That's that's correct. The most tiny houses are, are historically put on wheels at this point. Um, there's a lot of minimum square footage requirements in certain areas. Everybody's kind of got their own uh, minimum square foot size. In Boise, it's 600 square feet. So if I wanted to build a house, it has to be 600 square feet, and I wanted to build smaller than that. So the wheels historically have been a workaround to that. Um, because they're governed by the DMV rather than the building department. Um, We're seeing more and more that cities are finding avenues to get tiny houses on permanent foundations, and that's new within the last year and a half. You know, there's there's certain cities that are popping up that uh, make tiny house living easier on a foundation. Hmm, Interesting. But when I was building, that wasn't so much an option. So your, your permitting was from the DMV? Correct. Okay, so you you get around the... the, uh... The municipal uh, laws against, uh, you know, or or lower than square footage that they want. Right. And, you know, a lot of people think you're bypassing, you know, taxes, you're not paying into the system. That's not true. I mean, you do. It's just you pay it a different way. Um, I pay property taxes. Um, It's it's one of the loopholes. They're kind of working to incorporate so it's a little bit more of a legit choice and, and more available to more people. Now you have to, the, the building codes, you have to build a code, don't you? Yeah, well no one governs that actually, but oh, I am okay. a big uh, person who says yes, you need to build the code. You you need to consider not only your life safety, but everybody else's as well. Oh, so you um, did, A good you did number that. of okay. tiny houses are built to code. Yeah. Uh, let me turn to uh, Christopher Smith. What what do you find talking to, to people? A, a lot of times a tiny house is built on wheels uh, to... to I guess, to, to, to get around some of that opposition from municipalities? I guess I'm using kind of that word, um, opposition. If you're on the side that doesn't want these small houses, that, that would be a loaded word. But anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I actually got a call yesterday from somebody in Boulder who um, who got a letter from the city asking them to move their house. Uh, you know, it's, it's tiny houses when they're on wheels are viewed as RVs, and so any laws governing 
kind of RVs and, and the permissibility of, of having them on your property and living in them um, apply to tiny houses. So uh, under those laws, they were asking her to move in. She was trying to find a new place uh, to put her house, whereas my house, which is also in Boulder at the moment, um, we actually had a property inspector who came to the property because the the house, the main house that's on it was being remodeled, and they actually said it was fine. Um, and they, in fact, asked them to move their chicken coop, but they said the house was fine. <laughs> so um, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of confusion around um, around what's what's allowed, even from you know the enforcement people. Um, I also think it somewhat depends on your neighbors and how much they care about it. And because I think right now it, they mostly only um, enforce those laws typically when somebody complains. I, I see. Now, are there more? Tiny houses being built on foundations. Then is that a trend, or what? Uh, what's happening? You know, um, Macy might know a little bit better uh, than I do at the moment, but I, I I think that what we're seeing is is that what they're not necessarily tiny houses um, on their own property, but I think there's a, a greater push toward allowing accessory dwelling units, mm-hmm. uh, which are basically tiny houses, but in the backyards of pre-existing structures. Okay. Now, Jeffrey White, the, the, your project you've you, you're building houses on uh, what on foundations. You're in a specific area, aren't you? In in Glendale area. Well, that was the first house. Oh, that was the first one. Built, okay. Which is a uh, the two forty foot containers that we in essence glued together, uh, put a roof on it, uh, opened up the interior. The house has uh, uh, won a couple of architectural awards from the style and the look of it because it doesn't look like a you know, shipping containers per se. Uh, a lot of the neighbors in that area uh, have homes that are, let's put it this way, a little bit rough. This house coming in, everybody just went crazy for it. Uh, so we got a lot of notoriety and things like that. The, our newest project that we're working on, and this is, again, as everybody's talking about, is dealing with municipalities and the public's you know, persona of what small house or tiny house living is. Uh, we've got a project that we're uh, going to be exhibiting, hopefully, Utah State's there, but we have University of Utah, several good schools, quite a few architectural firms, but we're going to be constructing and highlighting anywhere between 12 and 14 homes, less than 600 square foot, for a site that Salt Lake City is giving us, just to show people what these houses can look like, the other ideas, the other schools of thought with regards to housing out there. This is the mic- mean, one of the things I can say, everybody's talked about mortgages and, and that nature. My career has been that of a real estate broker, uh, and it's been 30-plus years. And so I know right now that there's houses that I sold that people are just paying off now. Could you imagine being able to have a house that's either paid for or have it paid off within two to three years? Yeah. It'd be a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, that's that's amazing. What what are the what are the costs that you're you're looking at? What the average price for one of these? Well, with this with this exhibit, nothing. You know, we're we're actually we put out a request for proposal that people can look at at the, either the the Sarah House Utah Facebook site or the Micro House Utah. But what that is, the homes cannot exceed forty thousand dollars. They can't be bigger than six hundred and eighty square feet. Uh, pretty much, it's other than that. It's very open. It'll be a a judged criteria. And uh, and then you're going to um, then you're going to build at least one or what? Uh, oh, they're, they're going to be all completely built. All, all built, all okay. Constructed. All right. Everybody's building. All of the everybody's building their own. It's something similar to what we've seen done with the solar decathlon. Mm-hmm. We're just wishing to do it now with small micro houses. Yeah. And what's the what's the overall goal? You want to get the word out? You want to change municipalities' minds? What? Well, uh, one of the things that we're noticing is, you know, these poor students are getting out of college and they've got so much student loan and they're not getting married. What they're looking for is they want something to be part of a, you know, a community. They don't want to, you know, live in their mother's or father's basements. They want to they get out. They want to be interactive. But the housing that's being constructed for them for, you know, the, the new affordable housing has too many things they just don't want or need. You know, they want. Uh, they don't need a three-car garage. They want places for you know their bike, their their boat, their you know uh, uh, kayak or things of that nature. Uh, they like the portability of those uh, tiny houses that are on wheels. It's just again the municipalities how they deal with them. Hmm. In Salt Lake City, they're classified as manufactured homes. That's very similar to the, uh, the what they refer to as 
uh, trailers of, of, of before, but they're very similar, similar frame. A lot of the backyard builders, the renegades that I, uh, I've worked with over the years, these guys will just take trailers that people have dropped off at the dump uh, and build their frames or their homes right on top of those. Interesting. Now, why not, you know, why not just uh, encourage people to get into a mobile home? It's a, it's a oh, little, little large usually. Whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It's, again, one of the problems that we have happening with mobile home communities is after a certain amount of time, like uh, uh, the mobile home owner park communities find that their ground is worth so much, all of a sudden they just start ratcheting those monthly fees up, whereas the people may have come in at $100. Now they're paying five or $600, and their mobile home cannot be moved. The only reason they have wheels, they usually just come in, the wheels are taken off, the trailer hitch is taken off, or the tongue, as they say, and they're just, you know, they're, they're placed on blocks. But what happens is anything in a mobile home built prior to 1977 yet can't be moved because of the level of toxicity of some of the insulation materials. Mm. So one of the communities out there, Utah resident-owned communities, has been trying to buy these mobile home communities and sell them back to the the, uh, the folks that are living in them. Right, make it make it more permanent. Yeah, protection. There. Make it per- let them have yeah. the, mm-hmm. the the land. Right. We have it going on right now here in Salt Lake City where. Uh, a couple of our largest home builders here are purchasing a couple of the mobile home communities, and they're pushing the people out. Yeah. Or else they're giving them the option to come in and, you know, purchase one of the two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollar homes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking tiny living, tiny houses, and in some cases, we're talking very tiny. Uh, one of my guests, Macy Miller, lives in a uh, space of uh, less than 200 uh, square feet. Uh, we also have with us uh, Christopher Smith and Brett Mueller, co-directors of Tiny, a documentary on Tiny Living. You just heard right there from Jeffrey White of the Sarah House Project in Microhouse, Utah. And you can join this program at 1-800-826-1495. Our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio, also on Facebook. Brett Mueller, um, I wonder about... Perception, and that's very important. Uh, also, this dream, we, the American dream, has it always been, you know, the, I don't know, 2,000-foot square foot house, or, you know, it's been increasing in the white picket fence and, and, and all of that. Uh, the trend now is moving back to smaller, but I wonder what, uh, what the perception is now of really small, you know, a, a, a micro house, a tiny house. Yeah, I think it's definitely gaining more acceptability and more traction um, as we're, I mean, we're seeing tiny houses and small houses in the media a lot more. And I think that's kind of helping it, um, helping the idea to to, gra- to gain um, acceptability. Um, I mean, I, I currently live in New York City and um, here, you know, living in a small space is, is kind of the norm. Um, so for a lot of people, I mean, living simply isn't a new thing. It's actually very common sense. Um, and I think we're, we're having, you know, new ways of talking about it. And it seems really extreme and really radical um, to a lot of people. But it's really been, you know, a phenomenon since the 1950s, where it's been sort of bigger is better. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, people are returning to um, more minimalist, more conservative lifestyle choices. That's a good point. Uh, you know, if you live in an apartment, I'm not sure if you know the square footage of your apartment there. Approximately, you know, I don't. I mean, it's it's definitely less than six hundred square feet. I have okay. a roommate, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's actually the square footage that I take up here is is larger than the tiny house that Christopher and I built in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of ways, I mean, like Macy was saying, it kind of goes back to good design and small spaces. You really learn that um, that how small a space feels has more to do with how it's designed than the actual um, square footage footprint. Mm-hmm. And so this is just applying what a lot of people do live in in in, in cities a lot of times. I get I think because of exactly. expense, uh, applying it to wider spaces. You just you just go smaller in a wider space. Definitely. I mean, in in cities, most people kind of externalize the features of home and they live their lives. Um, you know, they go to cafes to meet friends, or they go to restaurants, or they utilize libraries and public parks and city services more. Um, so this is, you know, the tiny house movement in a lot of ways is, is taking that lifestyle back to the suburbs. Um, and people who live in small spaces, even in suburban environments, um, say that they end up spending more time um, in the community, more time, you know, out of doors in nature, 
um, and things like that. And uh, I was watching a YouTube video. There's a there's a YouTube presentation, an interview with uh, Marette uh, Mueller and Christopher Smith. Uh, Marette, you were you were talking about how the the wall to window ratio is you know it's different in a tiny house. It seems like you have more you know window space because the ratio is different, and that tends to bring nature inside. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it depends on the design, but in, in such a small space, there's a lot more natural light coming in. Um, and, I mean, the, the tiny house that Christopher and I built was was meant to be in the mountains. That was one of the points of, of building it, um, was to kind of be in nature. So Christopher designed it um, to really frame those views with the windows. And it's amazing, you know, being in a space where the outside is constantly um, being invited into the interior design, I feel like really changes, um, you know, your feeling in a space, and, and that's really important to me. Let me turn back to Christopher Smith. Um, I, I'm looking at um, a, a website. This is a professional builder of, uh, of tiny houses. This is Jay Schaefer. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, fourlightshouses.com is the site. Um, but but so, some of these, or many of these, it looks like, are designed to just be right in nature. There's a spectacular one that's built between two large trees. So you're right in into nature. Um, I guess that was one of one of your purposes. You You wanted to be right into nature there. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, for me, you know, I, I when I I actually bought some uh, land up in the mountains, and it was that land that inspired me to uh, to build a small house because I didn't want to really, um, you know, damage the land or or alter it very much. So I originally looked at a small cabin, but you know, the tiny house really actually was felt more hum- harmonious with nature in the end, anyway. So it seemed like a really logical way to go you know, that gelled with my environmentalist sensibilities, so. Mm. Uh, and do you find that that's a motivation for, I guess, a broad range of motivation for people who uh, who build uh, tiny houses, but uh, is is that one of the big ones, to get out into nature? You know, I think that for, for some people, for sure, but Moret and I were actually very surprised that when we started going around and interviewing people, that that, that was one of their... Um, one of the things that they liked about it, but, you know, that they were primarily more interested in the sort of economical and lifestyle um, advantages. But it's, it's really hard to generalize because so many people are doing it now that um, you start seeing people being drawn to it for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. So, so the, it, this is a growing movement, then? More people are doing this? Oh, yeah. I think mm-hmm. that, uh, in, you know, it's, it's really exploded in the last year. But it was funny, when we, when we first started it, it felt like a movement, um, but it was much smaller then, and, and, and it got, was getting bigger, and then we, you know, as we were making our film, it, it kept getting even bigger, and then we thought, we're like, well, this has got to stop at some point, but it just keeps getting bigger and, and growing, and, you know, I think uh, Macy might be able to speak a little bit uh, better to that, as she really is um, intimately involved in the tiny house movement. Yeah, let me turn to Macy, Macy Miller. Uh, first of all, personally, uh, has this changed your lifestyle in, in ways? I've got to change a little bit the way you live, right, going from a big space to a small space? I don't know. You know, I, yeah, I, I expected it to be much harder than it actually was. Like, my, my goal when I got into this, I was like, I'm going to take one year's worth of rent payments, I'm going to build this house, and I'm going to force myself to live in it for two years. You know, I really thought it would be a forceful thing. Like, I'm just going to bit and bear it, you know, and we're going to do it. It's not that way at all, um, but my lifestyle kind of lends to it. I don't have a lot of stuff. I've never been a collector of things. I, I like to experience the community. I take my family out to plays, and, and, you know, we go hang out at coffee shops, and that's kind of what our life was like before the tiny house, and so it's really fitting of my lifestyle. Um, I, I don't think it's that way for everybody, but my personal mission and, and why I've been more involved in the tiny house community after this build is to just kind of bring light to it. And maybe it does work for other people as well as it's worked for me. And it should be an option for those people. Um, so I've tried to stay really involved and, and be a, a support system for those people to find the information they need to make this lifestyle work for them. Uh, because, you know, like Christopher said, you know, two years ago, it was a much different thing than it is today. Um, and it, it was hard to find information. It's getting easier every day, though. Mm-hmm. What, what do people tend to ask you? They, they find you. There's community there. You know, they find, well, Macy Miller, she built her house out in Boise. What, what do they ask you? 
oh, you know, the legalities of their situation, which, you know, it's different for every single location, not just state by state, but city by city, and honestly, by portion of city by portion of city. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, you do need to go down and talk to your code officials and see what is allowed and work within the, the boundaries of your uh, desired area. But then also they want to know, you know, is their community popping up? And there is, you know, all across the country. There's people that are willing to move, uh, you know, in some cases across the, the country for this lifestyle because it's not allowed where they're at currently. Mm. Um, so there, there's, you know, where is it more acceptable? Where can we go find that? Um, you know, how do you save money? Because I, I saved quite a bit of money on my build uh, compared to the standard house or standard tiny house even. Um, things like that, you know, just, just finding information about how they can do it themselves. What do your neighbors think? You know, I'm I'm extremely lucky because I'm not necessarily in a legal situation. I'm living in an RV in a neighborhood where it's not explicitly, you know, you can't do it, but it's it's not written in the code either. But I went down and I, I talked to each of my neighbors and made sure they were okay with it. And I was very clear about it. If they don't want me there, all they ever have to do is complain about me and I have to go, um, which is something I knew going into this. Um, but they all like it. I mean, they came over to say hi when I moved into the neighborhood. They think it's so cool. Um, you know, I was, I was a snippet in Mira and Christopher's movie. That actually helped me out quite a bit. They're like, yeah, I saw you on that movie. I'm like, oh, we're friends then. Good. <laughs> <laughs> good, good deal. By the way, uh, the, the movie, you can find the website at uh, tiny-themovie.com. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have an email. This listener is asking about health effects of uh, living in a small space, whether there might be negative health effects. And I've got a question about plumbing. So we we had a <laughs> we we had a question. We we had a program on off the grid living, and they had me right up till the uh, the euphemistically titled composting <laughs> toilet. So I'll I'll ask about that uh, once we come back uh, and uh, more on the tiny living following this break. Did you know that nearly half of preschool children in the U.S. do not go outside to play every day, and parents are less likely to take their daughters outside to play than their sons. Children's books also focus less on natural environments today than they did 50 years ago. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, it's the magical sounds of the harp and Irish pipes as we celebrate a Celtic Christmas with acoustic versions of some of the world's most cherished carols. Here we come a wassailing among the leaves of green. Here we come a wandering safari. I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for a Celtic Christmas on the next Putumayo World Music Hour. You're listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment here about 10 minutes uh, on uh, tiny living. Uh, it's a lifestyle movement for many, affordability issue. A tiny house uh, costs generally a lot less, especially if you build it yourself the way uh, Macy Miller did. She's living in a tiny space of her own uh, up in Boise. Uh, we have with us as well Christopher Smith and Marette Mueller, co-directors of Tiny, a documentary on uh, tiny living. And you can find more about that at tiny-themovie.com. And uh, we have uh, with us on the line from the Salt Lake City area, Jeffrey White of the Sarah House Project and Micro House Utah. Uh, Jeffrey White, uh, w- where can people reach you? What, uh, what's the best website or, or contact point? Oh, for me, uh, the easiest one is just the Facebook page, uh, Sarah House Utah. Okay. Uh, so there's, before there's we get... one also called Fair Companies that has a, a, also a little verbiage or a little video on the, on the house. But I encourage people to take a look at it. It's, it's a very interesting project. We, 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 did it, we think we did it very, very well with just a, a group of old volunteers, in essence. Okay, great. Um, let's see. Uh, we, have a, um, we have this email. I'll go to that next. But first, uh, I want to follow up again with Jeffrey White. Uh, tell me the the genesis why you call this Sarah House. It's an interesting story. Oh, <laughs> the, how the idea came to me. It was uh, I was in San Francisco visiting a friend, and it was 2007. 
and uh, her name was uh, Sarah Morris, and Sarah was a, an old stone, an old woman, very old woman, uh, and she was a stone artist, and she did not have any place ever to live. So the last place she was living, it was the uh, Hunter Point Naval Shipyards, which had been left vacant by the city earlier. Uh, and so they just turned it over to a bunch of nomadic artists. So every time I go down to visit other friends, I'd have to be moving Sarah from one house to another place to another place. So we were down there for a, a show, and I just saw a couple of shipping containers coming back. Uh, looked at uh, looked at them and said, well, this is the perfect idea. Me being a bit of a woodworker and designer, I just set the thing up in my, came back to Salt Lake City, set one up in my driveway, and just retrofitted it in a 20-foot container for a house. Then from there, the, the last house was the biggest, but we had built smaller ones than smaller that before. Let's uh, go to our listener. Uh, this is an email uh, who says, uh, the listener says, so I see that it's uh, good for the environment, talking about tiny houses, and cheaper. But is there anything on health effects of living in such a small space? I can see how it would be possible, uh, possibly be depressive or distracting, not having separate spaces for eating, cooking, sleeping, uh, passing time, etc. Um, so I'm not sure who wants to tackle that one. I, I can address okay, that Okay, one. go ahead. <laughs> um, so my background is in architectural design, um, and you do a lot of studies on human nature and how people interact you know, with their spaces. It's really designing spaces for people. Um, and there is much, in my opinion, and based on some research, there's much harsher effects from over-expanding a space than there is from minimizing a space. Um, the forced interactions do a lot for a person. Uh, right now, with, you know, that 2,700-square-foot average size, your kids can get, a, get mad at you and they can go slam their door and not see you for, you know, however many hours. And then they just get over it on their own. You don't actually learn those inner communication skills that come with the forced interactions and having to work through situations as a family. Those really grow ties with people. Um, not only that, you know, you have more disposable income in theory, and you can go interact with your community more. So if you ever feel like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm feeling depressed, you go sit at a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, you you interact with strangers, and you can do that easier because you have the money and the time to do that. Um, personally, I've lived here with my family for uh, coming up on two years at this point. I've never once felt depressed by the space. Um, a lot of that has to do with the light that you get in the space. You know, you get your extra vitamin D, your feel-good drugs um, from the sunlight. And it, I, I think that is a concern that a lot of people have, and it's very valid. I've not experienced any of that. Quite the opposite, really. Uh, Chris, yeah, Christopher Smith. Anecdotally, yeah, um, go ahead. I might jump in here. Uh, anecdotally, last year when the big floods were happening in in Boulder, uh, I was actually in my tiny house and I was and I was literally trapped in it for about three days because uh, all the roads in the town were flooded. And uh, you know, I think it, and it was fine. And I think by the end of those three days, you know, yeah, I was I was ready to get out, but it, I didn't feel. Uh, in any way, like I was going crazy, or you know, like I was in The Shining, or anything like that. Okay, <laughs> you you weren't in The Shining. Yeah, love it. Okay, <laughs> and, and you're I guess you're kind of close to where that was was set. Um, let let me go back to uh, Macy Miller. My question on plumbing, as I mentioned before the break, um, we were talking to off the grid people and uh, pros and cons, and uh, you know, there's some attractive elements to it, and uh, and for me, they they kind of lost me at. Uh, what they euphemistically called the composting toilet, which I think many of them had outside the house. So essentially, it's an outhouse. Um, I, I don't know. What, uh, talk to me about uh, about plumbing. Sure. Um, so I did something a little different than most people do. 20% of my entire house budget is my toilet. Um, it is a composting toilet. But when you think about composting toilets, there's a whole bunch of different levels to it. Mine is a very hands-off unit. And it's one that I, I chose it because it's regulated by the government. It's okay by, you know, the FDA that says it's an approvable um, septic sewage system for city use. Um, so, I mean, my, my toilet was $2,500. Um, I got a little bit of a deal on it. But um, it's, it's extremely hands-off. In the, in the two years I've been here, I've had to empty it one time. Um, and it's, I mean, it's extremely hands-off. If you've ever dealt with, like, an overflowing flush toilet, that's way grosser, in my opinion. Um, I was very leery of the system when I when I started the house, but it's, you know, a learning project for me. I was going to deal with it. 
I like it better than a flush system, in all honesty. Um, I, I This is not a topic I'm shy about because I get asked <laughs> this all the time. But yeah, I imagine. It's yeah. more comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there's a little heater in it even. So in the winter, it's, it's a little warm, you know. You don't get that with a flush toilet. <laughs> so, um, there, there's a lot of options. Um, my particular case, I, you know, if I... If I build my next house, I'll probably have the same unit in it. I like it just oh, much better. Very, very good. By the way, listeners, is still an NPR affiliate, we're, but we're, we've wandered into the, you know, the, the toilet talk uh, uh, by, by my insistence, but it's it's my fault. Uh, so, uh, Christopher, or, or let me turn to Jeffrey White. Um, the the um, I I think one concern if you're um, you know just uh, in a less well built uh, unit. Uh, would be uh, in the in the cold, right? Um, I guess these these units that you're building or proposing to to build are are well built, can withstand the the cold. That's in fact uh, for people you want to get in and out of the cold, the homeless people. That's the whole point. Well, yeah, I mean the 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 small units, the the six foot eight by eight foot. I mean, quite literally, it's the it's the size of a jail cell. For gosh sakes. You know, and it's it's just a different means. I can build them very inexpensively. This one that I've got sitting in my driveway, it's also I've got photos on the on the Facebook site, but it was twelve hundred dollars. Far, far cheaper than placing somebody in you know, incarcerating somebody, a homeless person or, or, or of that nature. Uh our bigger container homes that we're building, we're exceeding insulation levels. Um you know, the uh, we're bringing in, I think, our walls on the last uh, home were R28, R29. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're very nice, tight, warm places. Uh, our last fuel bills or electric costs, which included the heating on the Sarah House, was averaging, I, if I remember correctly, was right around $23, $24 a month. Hmm. Yeah. That's afford- you know, that's, that, that at that point in time is, a, is affordable for people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let me turn to uh, back to uh, uh, Marette Mueller. So you're you're now in uh, back in New York, living in an apartment, a kind of a similar size, but a much uh, much bigger city. I suppose uh, uh, you know a tiny house could be could be a part time home. You can go back and forth. Yeah, I, I've spent time in the tiny house back in Colorado. Um, I personally, Christopher's lived there full time. I haven't lived in in the tiny house that we built, um, myself full time, but, um, but I, it's a great way to have a place in Colorado, um, you know, to go back to. Um, so it, it works that way as well. Mm-hmm. We are coming down to the end of our time. I wonder, um, with, uh, just give each of you just, a, a about a minute, uh, start with, uh, Jeffrey White. So with the Sarah House Project, Microhouse Utah, what, what's your vision? What's, what, what's the vision? If you look out five or 10 years, what would you like to have happen with the uh, tiny houses in Utah? Well, in our situation, just opening up the perception of, you know, smaller house living, looking at, uh, some of the planning and some of the infill lots that Salt Lake City has where we can accommodate, three or four or five houses on a, uh, on a smaller lot or a bigger lot. One thing I would like to say, if those that are interested in, you know, container housing movement, we're, doing, we're building another one online that they can watch us do. Uh, what we post regularly as far as the construction techniques and things like that so other people can see what's going into building in these, in these tiny house communities. But I'm hoping that, you know, cities will start looking at this idea and say, geez, you know, we've got infill lots that we can't do anything with. This is a perfect idea for a micro house development of, you know, one to four to five homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Smith, I know you have to get going here. What, uh, what would you like to say finally on the topic? You know, I think, um, I just, I guess the takeaway I'd like for people, uh, you know, listening is that, you know, our, we're not really saying our, our film and um, sort of our mission, it's, it's not really to get everybody to live in tiny houses. It's really just to have uh, people realize that, that tiny houses offer a lot uh, in terms of design ideas and things like that, and that, um, you know, people should be allowed to live in tiny houses if they want to or, or explore living in, in small circumstances because we can't all live in giant houses, uh, you know, with the increased population and the, the growing scarcity of resources. So I, you know, I, I, I guess I'd like to see a movement towards making it a more acceptable and a more practical lifestyle. Mueller, just a third seconds or a minute for you. 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, small and smaller is really interesting, even if people um, can't or don't want to go tiny. I think just sort of being aware of, of your space and how that impacts your quality of life, um, you know, is really important um, for everyone to consider. And Macy Miller will uh, give you the last brief word. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Christopher and Matt, first of all, but um, I, my overriding mission or goal and why I stay involved in the community past building my own house is to make myself available as a support system and for information for others who are interested in the lifestyle. Not everyone will be interested in it, but I, I'll also just go ahead and plug. I run a Facebook group that's Tiny House People on Facebook, and it's an environment where you can come ask whatever questions you have and find supportive followers who can help you help guide your, your little path towards Tiny. Okay, Tiny House People on Facebook. That's how you reach uh, Macy Miller. Um, and uh, if you'd like to look at the uh, more information on the film, it's uh, tiny-themovie.com. And uh, for more information on uh, Jeffrey White, uh, Sarah House Project is uh, the place to go. Facebook uh, yeah, Sarah page. House Utah on Facebook. Uh, Sarah House Utah on Facebook. Great. Uh, by the way, um, our uh, chief engineer, a friend Weller, did an interesting program on the tiny house movement. This was in 2009, and we're going to have that Access Utah program from, from that year uh, up on our website along with this program, uh, and that'll be up uh, within the hour. That's on upr.org. And uh, to all of our guests, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're talking uh, charitable giving. A lot of good goes on in our communities. We want to spotlight that tomorrow in the program. And so if you have a, uh, especially a nonprofit group that does good in your community, we'd love to have you call in and spotlight that. We'll be talking about that tomorrow on Access Utah. And on Thursday, we have our Access Utah Holiday Special. Those two programs coming up. Thanks for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan, open for breakfast Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m., offering muesli with fresh fruit, walnuts, and yogurt. Breakfast menu at crumbbrothers.com. Donate your card to Utah Public Radio through January 15th and receive a $50 gas card. Call 877-877-7501 or donate securely online. Just go to the support tab at upr.org. We'll have your vehicle picked up and after it's sold, you'll receive a $50 gas card. Donating is easy. Call 877-877-7501 or donate online at upr.org. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.